Good morning, everyone. We, wel we welcome you to our Sunday morning roundtable with our subject of God today. We are recording from the Plainfield Christian Science Church, Plainfield Independent, Plainfield, New Jersey, in the United States of America on this 4th of July weekend. We welcome you all. And we will begin with our morning prayer. I'm reading two excerpts, one from 161 and 74 of Divinity Course in General Collectania. Since Eddie writes something about independence, just two sentences here. Uh, independence. A man has no right to do wrong. His right is to do and think right. Independence consists in his liberty and right to do right. Neither mesmerism, hypnotism, theosophy, exoteric magic, nor wicked mental or audible arguments can affect me. God governs me. Justice, truth, love govern us, and nothing else can or does affect us in the least. Then have faith in God. Know that faith as a grain of mustard seed can remove mountains and have no faith in evil. Know that it cannot do anything, that it is nothing. Know that God is all. Mary Baker Eddy. Thank you. All right, our watching point. Watch number 197. Watch lest you seek the power of God with an inferior or human motive. We should fear to continue to engage the services of the universal blesser of mankind, merely to remove our warts and to pay our bills. As one grows in understanding, he should realize that the blessings he receives from God come as legitimate commissions earned through a successful effort to spiritualize his own thought and to reflect more and more good to all humanity. He should realize that a motive satisfactory to God must accompany every demonstration in order to make it scientifically effective. When a mature student seeks to reflect the power of God, as he should do constantly, he should have a lofty motive for claiming his spiritual rights. The mortal purpose is unselfed, as Mrs. Eddy tells us it should be. Only as one desires to help mankind and to show forth the glory of God with no thought of personal rewards. An inferior motive tends to nullify the effectiveness of scientific demonstration. One helpful definition of the fear of the Lord would be to fear lest one seek his power with a motive but to do, but to do good to all, a love for all, and a desire to bless all. Thank you. Comments on that? Uh, 
Well, sure, different than any other system I encountered before, any other system or religion. You know, most of them are just about how to, you know, 10 steps to make yourself better, stuff like that. <laughs> so to come here and, and to find that it's all outgoing, you know, like like the Herbert Reiki address talks about consecration, you know, the outward, going outward instead of concentration as the inward. So I really appreciate that about Christian science and that it's for everyone. Thank you. Well, this is a, a basic premise in our church that this is this is it's in giving. It's that quote that Gary quoted in his testimony Wednesday that was such a game changer for me that Mrs. Evans gave to me very, very many years ago from Mrs. Eddy's article, Fidelity, and that is too soon. We cannot turn from disease in the body to find disease in the mortal mind and its cure in working for God. And your assignment next week or this today is is to read at least the first 30 pages of the Herbert Ricci Association Address, Volume 1, and, this, and that No Big Power Veto, the 1948 address. If I ever had to write an address, well, now I don't have to because I would have <laughs> I would have written what he said. It is just so wonderful. And dear Carrie just came upon it and she was telling me, this is really good. And I said, oh, yeah, maybe it is. Maybe it is. But I started to read it. And I couldn't put it down. It is really good. And one thing he says, which goes along with this watching point, most people are sick only because they spend too much time thinking about themselves and their own affairs. I will say that is true. That is my definition of hell, thinking about yourself. Their salvation is to forget self, but in order to put self out, a bigger and nobler interest must fill the gap. To work truly for world peace is that nobler life purpose if you will be a good recruiting sergeant, selling individuals on true, true satisfaction that comes from doing something for God, their country, and the world through prayer, you will be an effective Christian science practitioner, and your recruited patients will be healed. There is much selfishness and self-seeking in America that needs to be healed in order to establish world peace. Let us roll up our sleeves and get to work. Only through the message of Christian science can this healing take place. Amen to that, brother. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Florence and I talk about this a lot. You cannot, we were taught here, the bait in Christian science, yes, is the healing. You come with all these problems to be healed. But if you just continue to have to give me or Florence or any practitioner a to-do list of all the things that you want God to do for you, forget about it. And then most of you never testifying for all the good that has come into your life already. Are you kidding me? He talks about that in there too, he about gratitude and that one practitioner expected them to send 50 to 100 gratitudes the first time they worked with them and if they didn't do it right away and send it he thank you i'm not going to take your case <laughs> i really 
It's in there. <laughs> it's in there. Thank you. Yes, I'm going to I'm going to quote from this little not a little pamphlet, big big pamphlet. It is on our carousel. We do have it to download. You can buy it from Rare Book. No, the not Rare Book. 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 Bookmark. Yeah. Bookmark. And we also can print it off and sell it, what, for $5 or something, whatever the postage is. Yeah, postage. <laughs> so, but he, he takes in the um, important paragraph found on page 367, of the Christian Science textbook, in which Mrs. Eddy described the qualities of Mary Magdalene, which brought to her healing and complete regeneration. One, the summit of devout consecration, which is what Jeremy just mentioned. He explains how different concentration is, where you're like just thinking, thinking, thinking. Mrs. Evans would call it the three-finger treatment. <laughs> <laughs> Put your three fingers up on your forehead and make a scowling look <laughs> as you're working so hard for healing. That compared to consecration, where you're giving your life to God, devoting yourself wholly to this mission. Might I just say, I, when I first came here, Mary told me that expression is the opposite of depression. <laughs> so it just feels like the same thing. Just you got to express. Yes. And then two, the oil of gladness. We'll get into that. Three, the perfume of gratitude. Four, the tears of repentance. And five, all hairs, all numbered by the Father. So, yes, consecration versus concentration, which he makes some excellent points. But then that oil of gladness. I love what it says. It says, trying to have demonstrations in Christian science with, without the oil of this is like trying to run your car without oil. It cannot be done. And then this, the man who persists in running his car without oil will soon <laughs> find his automobile in the junkyard. If you are going to persist in being unhappy, miserable, sour, and depressed, I would suggest three things. First, <laughs> out all the life insurance you can afford <laughs> that can pick out a good undertaker <laughs> and third write your will because you cannot run too long without the oil of gladness <laughs> how wonderful is that that's telling it like it is my friends go ahead be sour be bitter be ungrateful and yes Get a life life insurance and an undertaker and get your will in order. You can't do this. That's not Christian science. It's not living. It's not what God created. <laughs> and then he says, do you know what I sometimes have these long-faced, serious, sour patients do? I recommend they go out and buy a good joke book. <laughs> <laughs> The kind you can get at every department store. I've asked them to acquire four or five good funny stories or jokes every day and to use these jokes and stories at home and in their business. This prescription has worked wonders for several businessmen who are becoming too serious. You remember what our leader says on page 117 of Miscellaneous Writings. I agree with Reverend Dr. Talmadge. There are wit, humor, and enduring vivacity among God's people. And then, and this is all, these are all the things I hear in Florence, too. 
I hear some individuals say, I just can't be happy or joyful as long as I have this unsolved physical problem or as long as I have this discord in my home or business. When these problems are solved, I shall promise truly to be one of the happiest and most joyful characters in the world. This is just like telling the filling station attendant, I can't or won't put in any lubricating oil until my <laughs> car stops getting hot, stops smoking, stops making this awful noise, and until it shows plenty of power. <laughs> then I shall reward the engine by pouring in oil. <laughs> oh, it just makes such wonderful sense. The attendant, of course, would laugh at you and tell you you had better make a deal with your nearest junkyard, for that is exactly where your car is going. Let us not deceive ourselves. The reason we have trouble in our bodies, our home, and our business is because we have not been pouring in enough of a good grade of oil of gladness. It's just so refreshing. He talks about looking in the mirror. I've, I've talked about this, too, to make sure Do you have a radiant smile. Don't just look about your lipstick or your haircut or whatever but what is the expression on your face are you joyful or are you a sour prune because no one needs to see a sour prune in our experience <laughs> it's very good to have a joyful look <laughs> well, somebody's getting it and you know then he says you cannot smile with the eyes and lips and be sad with the vocal cords. It cannot be done. You know, when you smile, it, she says, you cannot smile with your face and frown with your kidneys or pancreas very long. <laughs> the oil of gladness reaches to every portion of the human system. It, 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 that's why a merry heart maketh like a medicine. It, it's healing. And, and people that just think they want to be sour and down in the dumps all the time, that's not what it's all about. It doesn't mean we're just, you know, what's happy-go-lucky. Yeah, happy-go-lucky. Carefree. No. That's no, not what it's about. No, not at all. There's a great sense of somberness and uh, sober. sober, yes, that goes along with this. But we also know how to have a good time and how to laugh. And then... The third, well, yeah, it is the third on the list, is gratitude, the perfume of gratitude. Let us face the spiritual fact that there can be no true permanent healing in Christian science without gratitude. <laughs> How about that one? There can be no true and permanent healing in Christian science without gratitude. This is why the simple statement we were given years ago, joy, the oil of gladness, and gratitude are two essential ingredients to any healing. If you're not getting your healing, maybe think about all of these, this list of five things, but joy and gratitude, certainly. Sometimes you will find patients who think they have nothing for which to be grateful for, Unless you can break such stupid mesmerism, you will not be able to do that patient very much good. It's a stupid mesmerism to think you have nothing to be grateful for. If you can help him to open his heart to gratitude, you have started him on a path to complete recovery. Um, At least be grateful for being alive, still alive, right? 
Yes. Well, exactly. I mean, you can start there. And if you start there, you'll find there are other things to be grateful for if you just look for them. And when you keep looking for things to be grateful for, guess what? Your problems get smaller and smaller until they finally disappear. That's why uh -huh. I people that they keep a gratitude booklet uh, and, and write in it every day to remind them. People say, I don't feel God's presence. Are you grateful? If you're not grateful, no, you will not feel God's presence. Are you joyful? Well, again, you, you're not going to feel God's presence. And you can't wait, as was just read, until you think everything is hunky-dory. Nothing in this human life will ever be perfectly hunky-dory. Okay? There's always going to be things that might not be right. You can either dwell on those things, or you can magnify your soul with the Lord and dwell on all the good that's everywhere. You made an example with Jesus going up to Lazarus' grave, and he didn't say Jesus. He said, well, I'll be grateful when Lazarus rises up, or <laughs> I don't remember exactly how he said it, but it really hit me. That yeah, yeah. It was immediately gratitude just because God is God, an expectation. And that brought the healing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like Bickle Young says in finance, Thanksgiving and recognition. Yes. And gratitude is a state of thought. It, 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 is, it is being, having the consciousness of Christ. When you are in that consciousness, you will be grateful. You will also be joyful. It's nothing that you're going to have to conjure up. It'll be there. Now, when you're not there, sometimes you feel like you have to conjure it up. And if you need to, you do. That's why it is good. Get a joke book. I tell people, watch a funny movie. We love to do that in our church. We watch these ridiculous movies and we laugh and laugh <laughs> and uh, and it's very healing and it's easier to laugh you know on a Thursday let's say when you know you did what you had to do on Wednesday thank you Jeremy <laughs> and I watch the sail ball and Desi Arnaz a lot <laughs> exactly still on and they still make people laugh yes I love Lucy um yeah, and to come Wednesday nights with a testimony. And again, you don't have to give it. If there are a lot of testimonies being given, that's fine. But Save it for next week. Save it for next week, but or cue yourself up. Most times our meetings go over 9.15 because of this fact. We have so many testimonies. And well, we should. Well, we should. As Mrs. Evans would say, if a whole week has gone by and you don't have one thing you're grateful for, well, what the heck is the matter? He goes on, true gratitude is not an acknowledgement that many things are all right, but rather a recognition that everything is perfect. What are you grateful for? Oh, a lot of things. No, everything. We are grateful for everything because everything is perfect. Mrs. Eddy says, quote, perfection underlies reality. Without perfection, nothing is wholly real, end quote. That means if everything is not perfect, it, is, it does not exist. It is nothing. That is why it is not enough to say I am grateful for everything good 
because then we are admitting the lie that there is something beside good or God. But when we declare with understanding, and this is important, with understanding, quote, I am grateful for everything because everything is godlike and good, end quote. We are then truly grateful. And this is certainly in our lesson this week, isn't it? About what? God being good. And all powerful. All power. Nothing besides him. And this is our source of joy, isn't it? it it's the understanding that God is love and that God is all. Therefore, we have, we have only good to look forward to. Even trials, even problems. What does Mrs. Eddy say about them? God's care. Yes, yes. We shouldn't get discouraged or upset or dwell on the negative when a problem comes up. That is our opportunity to let God care for us, to prove God's care for us. That's why if you, who was it who said, if you're not having fun practicing Christian science, you're not practicing Christian science. Or yeah, if you're not joyfully going through your day, you're not practicing Christian science. But it's the understanding. It's not a law law. It's not something that you have to move somewhere to find or change something in your life to find. It's in your consciousness. It's the understanding that God loves you and that your life has a divine purpose and God's going to show you every day every day how to live that life to the fullest it's significant that jesus said be of good cheer i think uh ricky refers to that too yes yes be mm -hmm. of good cheer for i have overcome the world mm -hmm. yes many times and and your joy no man can take from you all of those things and, and as, as you grow in science, this is what you find. And it does bring heaven on earth. And every day I think about that. I think about, am I experiencing heaven on earth? And if I'm not, why not? It's because of my vision, not seeing what's here, right here and now. I was telling a few people, I had this most <laughs> wonderful experience the other day. I was at... Panera's. I was with my daughter-in-law and little grandson. Anyway, a, a woman who had been sitting by working on a computer, she'd overheard me talking and the things that I was saying, which, well, you can know what I say and talk about. Anyway, she, she came over and she said that she was a widow, that she had a son who was a U.S. Marine and how much she thinks about the early days when her little boy was young and pictures and all of that. But she said, but do you know what? She said, every day I know that I dwell in the kingdom of heaven. On earth. On earth. 
on earth. I know she had me in tears for her to tell me that because that is something that I think about a lot and for her to just come over and start telling me these things. So I told her she was my angel because she was and that was so beautiful. But she acknowledges that fact. You know, she's just (laughs) she just was working this truth that she could have the kingdom on heaven of heaven on earth. That's what the Lord's Prayer says. That's why we're to work with it every day. As in heaven, so on earth. So we work with this, and we can have it, and we can be happy and joyful and grateful. What does it mean to love God? Grasp the... To be obedient. Integration. Yeah, yeah. To be obedient. You loyal. If you if you love something, you love it. You you do everything for it. You preserve it. You cherish it. You are loyal to it. Yeah, you're grateful for it, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> you love what he's doing. Yeah. So when we express the gratitude for what God does for us. That, in effect, is loving God, isn't it? Isn't that how we love God? Can you be, can you love God and not be grateful for what He does for you? <laughs> no, of course no. not. No, and, and you can help your neighbor by expressing yeah. that gratitude, can't you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We prove our love for God by loving man too. Exactly. And it should just overflow your love for man and his creation. It should just overflow everywhere you go, everyone you meet. It should be just overflowing. Um, So, yes, remember, perfection underlines lies reality. So if you're seeing something that's not perfect, it's there. If it's real, it's there. You might be seeing a fuzzy picture of it, but it's there. That perfection is there. Don't accept anything else. This is how Jesus healed. He beheld in science the perfect man, right? Yes. So always remember, that was so healing to me when I read it the other day. Don't accept anything that's not perfect. And then the next is about the tears of repentance. And he says, would it not be well for each of us humbly to rededicate our every thought, word, and deed to the Christ truth? He talks, too, about tears of repentance, not tears of pity, okay? Boo-hoo-hoo, life so cruel, nuh-uh, that'll get you nowhere. That's self-pity, Adam and Avera. And then he says, I believe it truly can be said that if the Christian scientists had done what they were capable of doing between 1919 and 1939, there would have been no Second World War. If each and every one of us does what he is equipped through Christian science to do, there will be no third world war. And that that is addressed to us today, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yes. So if we as Christian scientists on this call are of one mind, and if we do what we are equipped to do. We, we can change the history of the world 
We can prevent war. We can hold crime in check. Why? Because God is all-powerful, that's why. So, so we give up our little selfish to-do lists and start thinking about the bigger picture and what we can do and find our cure of problems in working for God, because this is the true science. I, I, think, I think he was brilliant to take that chapter, which we know is a brilliant chapter in Science and Health, and then to analyze those five aspects of Mary Magdalene what brought the healing and the last you know that's so beautiful is it all that all your hairs are numbered by the father remember that we are never alone there is always a manual or god with us and um i love this too because i feel this so strongly a few scientists sometimes want to become so abstract in their mental work that they leave out of their thinking the father-mother quality of God. This is why I love that Jesus spoke to, about God as Father. We must have that close relationship with him. He's not some abstract thing floating around in outer space. <laughs> and it, it goes on. Don't do this or you will miss much of the inspiration that is that is needed for good work. Talk to God. Just Often, just as you would to a loving parent. But don't waste time talking about evil, your shortcomings, or the shortcomings of others. For you will be separating yourself from him who knows only the infinite good. Rather tell him how grateful you are for all the good that is unfolding in your thought and experiencing and that of the world. Let him know how sincere you are in any desire, in all your desire to reflect him in his glory. But most of all, listen for his answers. You will not hear them through your ears, but in your heart. Your hairs are truly numbered by your heavenly Father. It's, it's all so beautiful. And then this last chapter that I also loved, before he goes into Genesis, is called Voting Straight. <laughs> and boy rip the taillights out of all the politics and the, you know, one one party's better than the other. I mean, he talks about it, it'll make you sick. This one person, all she, you know, she, you had to be this party. If you weren't this party, you something really, really wrong with you. And boy, do we hear that now, don't we? If you're not one party or the other, man, you there's something wrong with you. <laughs> well, yeah, we, we do hear that. I was telling Shardell yesterday, it's like people rooting for sports teams, you know, like the difference between the Red Sox and Yankees. <laughs> you know, I, I, I encountered a lot of that around Boston. So. <laughs> <laughs> you living in Boston, yeah. But uh, not yeah, too many Yankee fans feel, in Boston. No, <laughs> no. You feel that strongly, you know. <laughs> I, I know, no, there's some areas of the country, heaven forbid, they find yeah. out who you voted for for president. You know, you'll probably be stoned or something. I mean, this is crazy that this go is going on in our country. I mean, where is any love? Or why can't we talk reasonably about different things? I love to hear the other person's viewpoint. I learn from it. And we must see all of ourselves as God's children. We all want the best for our country and our world. I would certainly hope so. So this idea of getting so wrapped up in politics 
that doesn't mean that you don't you can have your strong opinions and views you definitely should vote and you should be able to smell a rat in something or someone that's your spiritual sense operating but to get in this fight and and this seeing the other side is evil there's something that's not christian science to say the least is it no the other side is perfect it's sort of the worst of what the human mind has to offer it, it sets up the false prophets and uh, you know, it, hum, yeah, it humanizes a process that should be kept inspired should be kept divine we should all be voting for the most righteous person that we can vote for jesus says you know by your works so people could say anything but what they prove is totally what shows who they are yes and then today we have to be especially careful because of the false the yellow journalism that was in mrs eddie's time as well which is why she started the christian science monitor they they will spread lies about the very person who might be doing the most good and they do and they do so you must be very wise in all your dealings and you must take it always up with the father um but not to get into this polarization but mrs eddie says in miscellany i have none when asked about politics, I have none in reality other than to help support a righteous government, to love God supremely and my neighbor as myself. And he, he brings out in this article, we, we are bringing, we want to bring in heaven on earth, right? The millennium. And that, how can that be if we're all fighting and divided and, and seeing evil in others? It cannot be. So Clarence thought of this. Florence, did you? Yeah, she says on page 203 of the Blue Book, <laughs> we are not indifferent to forms of government, but we support the best in each. A church to be universal must in many things be neutral about forms of government and at the same time support what is right to support. When all men are one in the church of Christ, the perfection of life and the perfection of government under the application of the golden rule will come. It will all be simple, natural, without clash or, or combat, all over the world in a divine brotherhood. Thank you. Beautiful. That's wonderful. And you see, this is it. Do we always we always go back to the golden rule? And many of our politicians are very good, sincere, wanting to help our nation. That's true. Some are not. Some are not. Some are not. And you have to have the discernment to know who's who and what's what. And we just pray for that. But to argue about it or to be so divisive and um, ugly, and it is ugly, well, that is not. That's not Christian science. So anyway, all of you, if you haven't already, do read this beautiful association address. It is wonderful. You know, another thing I was thinking about, there's just so much in here. He didn't hold anything back, you know, like some 
sometimes it seems like people just want to like stick to a topic and then that's <laughs> you yeah. know like i better stretch this out you know to make sure i get my inspiration but he just laid it all out <laughs> I, I love that I he knew next year he would get what he needed so. he did that's true and and he had a sense of humor you know with yeah. the thing he said it was so refreshing and it is true. I mean, he was telling it like it is. If you do want to be an old grouch and you insist on it, it's not going to take you down a good path. Mrs. Evans used to call them curmudgeons. I never knew what that word meant. Now I certainly do. <laughs> Just one of the old sourpusses. No sourpusses. She would say, no sourpusses in the kingdom of God or no curmudgeons or no whatever. She would say, no AHs, actually. <laughs> We're in the kingdom of God. So that's true. They are not. <laughs> and if we want to be in the kingdom of God, we must see everyone as God's child and see that underlying perfection that is there. Now, I loved Peter and his, uh, what he wrote about, uh, the word rebuke, it appears twice. Jesus rebuked twice, rebuking the wind and then rebuking the devil and the, and the boy. And um, rebuke is a strong word. Doesn't say Jesus asked or Jesus prayed by knowing the truth. He rebuked. And in my time as a member at Plainfield, I've learned that it we need to take a strong stand against animal magnetism and the suggestion that man is subject to sin, disease, and death. We must actively work against this suggestion. There is nothing passive nor gentle about the word rebuke. And remember, it's the animal magnetism we're rebuking, not the person. That's where people fall apart and hurt their feelings. No, you're going to help them by rebuking the error. It says to rebuke is to turn back or force back. Um, and then he goes on rebu the rebuking of the wind and forcing it back to its nothingness helped me in a healing this week of cold and flu I stood firm and rebuked the winds of cold and flu and saw them for what they were lies and false beliefs I commanded peace be still all sense of illness disappeared and left me with a stronger and greater understanding of how we must actively stand up to sin disease and death and take action by forcing it back into a state of nothingness. We do not just shiver in our boots and say, please go away. <laughs> we, always knowing it's unreality, though, not making a reality of it, but commanding it. Um, and then I love this. This is a good article by Louise Knight Wheatley that Carrie sent to me called Where Is Your Faith? Um, and this whole lesson is starting with the golden text about faith. Your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Where is your faith? So that's the name of this article. And she says, at the time of the storm upon the Galilean lake, when the disciples cried out to the master to save them, the question which he put to them was, where is your faith? It was evident from their self-confessed inability to cope with the situation that their faith in the power of matter to destroy them was greater than their faith in the power of spirit to save them. Hence, it is not surprising that to his very pointed question, not one of them could answer a word. So, you ask yourself, where is your faith? Is your faith 
in the power of matter to destroy you? Or is it in is do you have faith in the power of spirit to save you yourself? And then if you don't have faith in God, then you have to ask why and you have to get yourself some faith. Mm -hmm. And you get it by being grateful, by seeing all that he's done in your life, because there's so much he does. And we must always be grateful for it. Now, there's another article that Carrie also sent, I want to get into a little bit, called The Democracy of Mind, because it certainly relates to our 4th of July weekend here in the United States of America. And then we're going to end with something beautiful that Parthen sent, which is about um, Julia Ward Howe. Yes, who wrote the Battle Hymn of the Republic. Anyway, the Democracy of Mind by a Clarice Hale. Neither wars, revelations, nor abortive attempts. Oh, sorry. Neither wars, revolutions, <laughs> thank you, nor abortive attempts to overthrow governments will in and of themselves bring liberty to those in bondage. Whereas the knowledge that man, the image of mind, is governed by God will make manifest in every way the freedom that has been the desideratum for which men have struggled throughout the ages. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Then is the method of Christian science by which democracy may be established for all mankind. This is the only answer. Um, it goes on to say, the First Church of Christ Scientists in Miscellany, beginning on 246, Mrs. Eddy gives a definition of pure democracy, which is applicable for all times and circumstances, and which, seen in its metaphysical aspect and demonstrated, will prove the millennium to be at hand. Quote, the Magna Charter of Christian Science means much, multum in parvo, all in one and one in all. It stands for the inalienable universal rights of men. Essentially democratic, its government is administered by the common consent of the governed, wherein and whereby man governed by his creator is self-governed. The church is the mouthpiece of Christian science. Its law and gospel are according to Christ Jesus. Its rules are health, holiness, and immortality equal rights and privileges, equality of all sexes, rotation in office, end quote. That's Mrs. Eddy. And then, the human will to rule or ruin in its autocratic determination to deprive men of the inalienable right to his own demonstration of the word of God is the antipode of true democracy which finds its practice summarized in the Sermon on the Mount. Christianity and the democracy of mind are identical. Contrarywise, the apathetic phase of mortal mind that desires to be ruled and the phase of mortal mind that lusts to rule are equally expressions 
of the autocracy, autocracy, thank you, of the human mind. Woolsey, in his political science, says, quote, the extreme democratic spirit, like the despotic, this <laughs> Sorry about this. The extreme democratic spirit, like the despotic, is the substitution of will for law. And thus all constitutional limitations are so many curbs to its hasty action. But the will of the individual, individual cannot be made the rule of others unless he persuades them that he knows what is for their interest better than they do. End quote. You see, he's a sweet-talking guy. I know what you need. I know what you need. I'll take care of you. Just follow me. I'll meet all your needs. Forget about God. Look to me. Look to the government. Thus, if one allows himself to be deceived into submitting to the control of the human will, either of his own or another's, the individual will surely reap the harvest of autocracy, autocracy. autocracy in losing his ability to demonstrate principle. The perception that one lives under the rule of mind permits of no personal interference or domination, but enables a man to recognize the absolute government of God expressed through every phase of experience. This is why you can't have people bossing you around. What is it, Jeremy, those three things? Oh, intimidation, domination, and manipulation. Yes, it's a definition of witchcraft bossing you around, whether it's the human mind bossing you around, telling you you're sick, you'll never get well, you're worthless, whatever else is bossing you around, whether it's some person at work, whether it's some husband or wife or family member, no, you come under the direct authority of Christ. You maintain your individuality and your right to think with God. Most important and that's why a Bible reading nation can never be enslaved. Enslaved. Because Horace Greeley. Right. Because the other example of that is a heavy handed autocratic government mm -hmm. regulating you to death, telling you what you can and can't do. It's all anti Christian. And it's all the human mind taking over. It's what happened to the organization, the human mind taking over, wanting complete control of things because you aren't smart enough to figure things out yourself. They've got to tell you what to do and how to do it. And you allow it when you're in a lazy state of mind. And then pretty soon you've got a big mess that you don't want or need, and they're telling you how to do everything right? and excommunicating you if you don't. Right. And in the meantime, you've gotten yourself in that mess because you violated the first commandment. You have made a God out of someone or something else other than God. God alone governs me. That's it. Right. That's what Mrs. Eddie says. He says it often. Yes. God governs me. Yeah, exactly. All nations today 
including or maybe mainly the United States of America are fighting for their individual rights and to maintain this on our 4th of July to remember what all the sacrifice that went before us to give us our freedoms and to be working as as Herbert Rickey says tirelessly for this in prayer in unity which is what we strive to do here because the devil is working tirelessly to take them away from us just waiting for you to just sleep. waiting for you to go to sleep and it's made many inroads it's, so now we're going to end with this beautiful article that dear parthen sent us yes this is uh, from the 1908 christian science journal entitled but their eyes were holden by archibald archibald mcclellan he writes we take the following clipping from the boston sunday american of june 28 julia ward howe has had a remarkable vision of a new era for mankind in a manner believed by mrs howe and her intimate friends to be supernatural the veil of the unseen has been lifted before her eyes the first intimation of her vision outside of her own immediate family was given in a talk with a leading delegate to the convention of women's clubs at a reception given in her honor by mrs sims noel in newport the story amazed the woman delegate and she repeated it the place and time of the revelation mrs howe refuses to give even to her most intimate friends although she is willing to make public what was revealed to her. Her own statement made through the Boston Sunday American today reveals what she believes to be a lifting of the veil, which obscures the long promised millennium. In her vision, she clearly saw an age of human battle with forces of evil and suffering, followed by triumph and an era of universal peace and purity. When men and women united by bonds of perfect sympathy all worked together for the uplifting of the race, a new sympathy in which all joined forces to relieve human misery. Mrs. Howe's own statement as to what was revealed to her in her vision, impressively told by the venerable woman to a Boston American reporter at Oak Glen, Portsmouth, Rhode Island, yesterday, is here given. Quote, one night recently I experienced a sudden awakening. I had a vision of a new era which is to dawn for mankind, and in which men and women are battling equally, unitedly, for the uplifting and emancipating of the race from evil. I saw men and women of every clime working like bees to unwrap the evils of society and to discover the whole web of vice and misery and to apply the remedies and also to find the influences that should best counteract evil and its attending suffering there seemed to be a new a wondrous ever permeating light the glory of which i cannot attempt to put in human words the light of the newborn hope and sympathy blazing the source of this light was born of human endeavor immortal purpose of countless thousands of men and women who were equally doing their part in a worldwide battle with evil and whose energy was bended to tear the mask from error crime superstition greed and to discover and apply the remedy 
I saw the men and the women standing side by side, shoulder to shoulder, a common, lofty, and indomitable purpose lighting every face with a glory not of this earth. All, all were advancing with one end in view, one foe to trample, one everlasting good to gain. I saw them advancing like a mighty army, laden with the fruits of their research, their study, their endeavor, in this battle with the powers of darkness and ready to tear vice from the earth, to strip away all of selfishness, of greed, of rapine. Then I seemed to see them stoop down to their fellows and to lift them higher, higher and yet higher. Men and women, a vast host whom none could number, worked unitedly, e equally, with superhuman energy, all for the extirpation of the blackness of vice and for the wheel of the race. And then I saw the victory. All, all of evil was gone from the earth. Misery was blotted out. Mankind was emancipated and ready to march forward in a new era of human understanding, all-encompassing sympathy and ever-present help. The era of perfect love, of peace, passing understanding. End quote. It is somewhat peculiar that in, this, in the chronicling of this vision, it has not occurred to anyone, not even to Mrs. Howe herself, that the very condition she has seen as a possibility of the future is even now an accomplished fact through Christian science. That over 42 years ago, another woman saw not only the great needs of humanity, which Mrs. Howe has now seen, but also the means whereby men and women might work successfully for the uplifting and emancipating of the race from evil. This woman, who not only saw but acted, was Mrs. Eddy. And under her leadership, effective work for the redemption of the race has gone forward for the past four decades. She gave to the world science and health, the key that has loosed the fetters of sin and suffering from countless thousands of Earth's sorrowing ones, and the mighty army which Mrs. Howe saw in her vision, laden with the fruits of their research, their study, their endeavor in this battle with the powers of darkness, and ready to tear vice from the Earth, to strip away all of selfishness, of greed, of rapine, is not a visionary host. It exists today. A mighty army made up of hundreds of thousands of men and women in every civilized nation of the globe. Those who have come up out of great tribulation and who, under the guidance of the discoverer and founder of Christian science, are laboring unselfishly and successfully for their fellows. Let us make sure we are part of that. Heaven on earth. Heaven on earth. That's, our, that's our job. That's our job. And we take it very seriously, and but also with good humor. And, and that's your assignment for this week. <laughs> that's, it. that's it. So thank you all for joining us today. Thank, thank, you. You. thank you. Thank you. Thank you.